Hey guys, this is Colin from Blackjack Apprenticeship, and I am joined again with Joe748 and Stephen Bridges, aka BJA member magician. How's it going, guys? Good. Yeah, great. Awesome. So uh, we are um, virtually talking with Stephen Bridges, who's across the pond, and uh, shared about uh, his play in part one. If you didn't listen to it, you're going to want to do that because he shares about how he got into card counting, what his training was like. Um, and a month-long trip on a a two hundred thousand euro bankroll, but a month-long trip here in the states where he had to deal with Yanks and all their oddities uh, before <laughs> heading heading back uh, to to home for him, and uh, started getting into playing both in Europe and and then some team play stuff. So why don't we get right into it? Um, what happened once you got got back? Did you you just start playing in in those local casinos when you got back uh, to Europe? Yeah, basically that was the immediate idea was just to keep going and and see what options were available in in Europe to play. So scouting out those those casinos and obviously networking with other BGA members was invaluable. Without that, I would have I wouldn't have known where to go. There are casinos that I wouldn't have known to even check. Casinos that I didn't think would offer a shoe game, so that was invaluable being able to talk with with other members and uh, and things like that. So then it was just full steam ahead and, and play more and raise the stakes slightly. As I say, I was topping out my bet at two spots of four fifty in Washington, but then we went up to two spots of six fifty as the as the top in in pounds, which is yeah in the, in Europe. So just started doing that, and it was basically full full steam ahead from there. So you increased your stakes because you were your bankroll was growing, or just wanted to push push the limits of of what you could do. Basically, push the limits. My my investor would have had me go higher, I think, if I because we just kept checking the you know the risk of ruin and things like that, and he would have been comfortable with with maybe a I don't know something like a five percent risk of ruin or something, or just oh my gosh! So, so this <laughs> investor that couldn't afford to lose the money wanted to. <laughs> Wanted to increase not not risk of losing some money, but risk of losing all of his money. Yeah, I think he just thought it's a sure thing as long as I get the hours in and after enough hours. I mean, obviously, I say sure thing. Five percent risk of ruin is a five percent risk of ruin, but he felt confident yeah. enough with it, and it had gone well so far. So we didn't really have a huge amount of reservations of doing that. But I will say those numbers and and raising the the, the top bet was probably contributed to a lack of longevity in Europe because the tolerance there's like a natural tolerance level that absolutely was, I was going beyond and probably shortened my time a lot, but it's difficult to judge, isn't it? Whether or not you've, you've sacrificed, you don't want to sacrifice EV for the sake of trying to get more hours in when you might get backed off in the same amount of time. So it was a tricky one to, to balance the aggression there. Yeah. So did you guys have any sort of agreement on how many hours you were guaranteeing to put in? Yeah, I think there was a general consensus that that I was going to do five hours per day, six days a week, or something along those lines. It was it wasn't something too formal. We never had a written contract, but there was an expectation that I was absolutely going for it. So that's that's what I was doing. But, but not a yeah. not a a minimum like you guarantee to play at least five hundred hours or a thousand hours or anything. He he was just like, nope, this is going to make me money. Go for it. 
yeah, it was basically just just go for it until I think it was around March. So a few more months, maybe three or four more months is, is what he wanted to do and just absolutely just, just go for it in that time, which... Yeah, so there was no like financial target to hit or or amount of hours to hit. In that respect, it was just play as much as you physically can until until he wanted to use the money for something else. As I said, which is he had other plans for the money lined up. So was was it Dogecoin or or <laughs> no? The way I'm describing it probably makes it sound like he's just Game. involved in all these different pyramid schemes. But he's he not. wanted to throw it all in GameStop. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yes, I'm sure. Uh, yes, don't we all? But no, this was pre the era of, of the lovely GameStop situation. But uh, yeah. So what? Um, and feel free to not to leave out some stuff if you if you need to. But I think a lot of listeners are like curious about this kind of thing. But like, when did you guys decide to split up the money? And like, what was kind of the whole percentage breakdown of like payout structure and all that stuff? I think it's just something people getting into this yeah, they have sure. no idea. I'm totally fine talking about that. Our payment was just 50-50 in terms of the, um, yeah, 50% for me for playing and 50% for him for, for being the investor, which I think is a, I think that's largely a fairly standard thing. Often with teams and stuff, there'll be like a manager fee and, and things like that too. But in general, I think it kind of works around the, out around the 50-50 mark. So that was, that was our, our arrangement. And um, oh, what was the other thing that you just asked? Uh, what, yeah, like when would you split it? Like when would you decide to to split the fifty fifty or or yeah? How did you decide? Like how many hours or? Yeah, it was just that he needed the money by or wanted to use the money for something else by I think it was March some day. Okay. Some of this stuff was a few years ago, so hard to kind of pinpoint the exact times. But he had a, a deadline, and so the last thing that we were going to do together was that he was going to invest on this card counting trip that i did with a team in vegas which actually there's a whole podcast about in, in vga so uh you can pause yeah, this right. one and go and get on that <laughs> the, yeah that's right um it, it's team team strike is that that's the one yeah yeah so so yeah we, this was was it during quarantine or something interviewed yeah. you guys that would have been quite close to the time as well i think it would okay. have been a month or two after we'd actually done it. Yeah. So yeah, very much during quarantine. But that was the last thing that my investor was in investing uh, in me on. And that was quite unfortunate too, because I think just before going to Vegas, I lost like 30K or something. It was very, very upsetting because we were up something like 50 something. And then I dropped 30 of it. And I was like, oh, that's unbelievably frustrating. And then go to Vegas, which was a roller coaster in itself. But then we parted ways and, and uh, I had to seek other, I don't know, other <laughs> other financial sources and, and things to do. So, so, how many hours total did you play w- uh, with the investor, or I mean, ballpark? Yeah, I think um, maybe around the three hundred mark. I want to say something around around that. Yeah, something around that, around that. And when you guys chopped, were you close to EV, below, above? I mean, you had a thirty k downswing right at the end yeah i believe we were still above ev and i say that partly because i was overestimating the amount of rounds per hour that i was doing i was thinking that i was easily clearing a hundred and you know quite a large amount of rounds per hour but when i actually stopped and really thought about it and sometimes the shuffles in in these european casinos are like five minutes long it's just the most there's no shuffle machines funnily enough it's either csms or or the most basic but thorough shuffle. So a lot of time being eaten up there and even just having the table open and stuff like that. So I think I overestimated the amount of actual rounds I did. So taking that into account, yeah, 
above EV, which I'm, I'm happy about, but obviously so close for it to, to it being quite considerably more money, which is the sort of bittersweet moment, but I'm not complaining because we weren't down. And that was the thing yeah. I was most worried about for him. So tell us about what led to the, the team. I mean, we, we talk about it on the other podcast, but maybe a brief version of how that came about. Yeah. So Ultimate, who's a, a BJA member and, and George 21, are, are friends of mine and, we just had, of, of course, we wanted to go to Vegas and, and have a team trip. It's just the most fun thing that we could imagine. So we just wanted to do it. And then I said that I think my investor would be interested, which gave us this opportunity to have a really large bankroll, close to like half a million dollars, which was just something that would just be fun in and of itself. Not even necessarily about the money, but just the experience of playing at those stakes and how that affects the game. And I mean, it opens up a world of of rules high limit rooms in on the strip are so much better than the than the sort of normal um normal tables so we just really wanted to do it and and had the opportunity so so we went with it and and played in vegas and uh yeah it was it was a great time the other thing that we wanted to do off the back of that but this was just as covid started kicking in is that we wanted to go and do the more traditional style signal in team play and uh we so we went to a different state but when we got there we got to these casinos that were perfect for it they started shutting off the amount of tables or it was a three person per table limit when they would have the craps tables packed, but then only three people could sit at the blackjack table. That's so, so funny. It was, all, it was very frustrating. This was the first time I heard the term social distancing was, was in the midst of all this. It was all very, very new. So that really ruined our ability to do team play in the way that we wanted. So I think that left, left us all like having this itch that we wanted to scratch that we hadn't really got to do it properly. We'd only really done it at one casino and then the rest of it was, was the standard sort of solo team play, so to speak. So months later, if I fast forward quite a bit to the next sort of team thing that we did, uh, basically the same team with, with uh, the Irish AP, who's also a BJA member, always play with BJA members is the, is the rule really, <laughs> uh, was added because he called me up just to chat because we're, we're good friends. And, and, and he was telling me about this game that he was playing at in, in, in Europe. And I thought it was unusually good game for Europe. The fact that it had more than one playable blackjack table with a shoe game was quite, was quite exciting. And at this point in my blackjack life, I had essentially burnt out all of the practical options for me. So I wasn't playing nearly as much and I haven't played a huge amount in the past since, you know, COVID kicked off really because yeah, just all, all the local kind of casinos and even the close places in Europe are just, there's not that many options. So he found this game and I just thought this sounds really, really good. So I called up ultimate and asked him to sim the game. And, and, and then we had a whole team meeting with and chatted about it. And then we went and did this this team trip to this casino but much like how i say that the that europe is different to the us this was also a bit of a different team experience because this was one casino in this european country and there wasn't any casinos nearby so this was like we have this one option and from one ap we'd heard it was really sweaty and really really like super sweaty but then from irish ap said that he had the opposite experience and that they were really tolerant so it was a bit of a weird one because we were planning this whole trip and, and doing this to potentially just get an hour before a back off. So we came up with quite an interesting way of doing things. Firstly, one of the challenges is, as I've mentioned with all this financial checks and stuff like that, 
uh, Irish AP had already been checked at this casino. So luckily he was sort of good. And without him, it would have fallen apart before it began. We had to have a, a guy that they had already approved could gamble at that level. So we had that and we were, he was calling ahead to try and confirm the amount that he wanted to bet and whether that would be okay. And he was calling, you know, banks and things like that to try and make sure that it wouldn't block any transactions, all these kind of things that could fall apart on the day. So amongst that, we eventually, we met up and we, we spent one or two days just in an, an Airbnb training before we actually did the team play because in European casinos, they're recording the audio of the sessions and they can listen live at the table. And that's not illegal. Whereas obviously in the, in the U S they can't do that. They can just see, which meant that verbal signals became a little bit more risky unless we were going to make them really complicated. There's only so many times you can ask the same question and give these answers with code words before it becomes yeah. a little bit transparent. So, and this was to George 21's credit he basically had the idea of having a bit of a hybrid of, of some of the various systems that have been done previously. So we then all came up with a basically totally nonverbal way of communicating. And our strategy was we had a few different signals that would signal in the BP, which was quite nice because we had a, we had to have a few because we're going to be in that one casino for as long as we could. Um, So we couldn't just do the exact same thing every time, stand up and stretch and it not look sort of suspicious. So we had a few different signals, but then what we were communicating to the BP was simply the betting amount, like the units, which was just going to be, there was just only three options. So only one bit of information there. And then simply whether or not he had to, stick with basic strategy or deviate when it came to the decisions. And these were all just physical signals that we had. And it worked very, very smoothly. When we actually got to the casino, I remember I sat down and I hadn't played in ages, but I'd been training every day. And it's almost like all of my blackjack knowledge had gone out the window (laughs) because I just really felt the pressure. And this was exceeding the stakes that we played even in Vegas on the half a mil bankroll. So it was quite... And, and the beautiful thing about this game was it was something like five euros table minimum, but uh, something like n- there wasn't like a table max that they had wow. written down or something. So it, it was, it was really, it was really nice. We could all just sit there as spotters and just, and just do our thing and, and, and camp at those tables and then signal over the BP. One by 500,000. Yeah, yeah. One spot, one spot, five hundred k. Can you imagine? So, so you you had the team trip um, that basically got ended early because of COVID. Yeah. Um, when when uh, coronavirus was shutting everything down, and and you guys had put together this huge bankroll for it, and you guys were up, and then like lost like crazy right before the end, and and you were forced to end the trip early. Came home, split up. The, the money or the losses or whatever, not, not much losses, but a little bit and uh, went your separate ways. And then other than you, did everyone else kind of get back into playing uh, when things started opening up again? Yeah. I think the priority for, for everyone was to play when possible, but in the U in the UK or in, in Europe and even just stuff with travel, it was really difficult. So a lot of it was, I remember I had one casino in the UK that didn't even, it was the worst game. I think I could, <laughs> I could find this was when the pen really varied. And that was the place I was, I was just hoping that I could get some hours in. So it, it became almost to a standstill for, 
for everybody as we sort of dipped in and out of lockdown and, and regulations and yeah. cinemas opening, but casinos staying closed and, and obviously travel being impossible. So people were keen to play, but how many hours people got in, I think was quite limited because the UK is not great. And did you play at all uh, during that stretch between, you know, from the end of the uh, US trip that ended early up to this play? Yeah, I did. I, I got uh, bankrolled by another card counter friend and was playing and that that went well. I think it was below EV, but in the profit. So I couldn't complain and just getting as as many hours in as possible, but really hit the point where my options were so, so limited. that It was all just like, please don't get backed off from this one last place. And when that happened, that's when I just couldn't, there's nothing else I could do. I couldn't travel at that point. So, so then this opportunity came around and, and the way you're describing it, it was basically a uh, gorilla BP. Like they, they didn't, you didn't communicate the count. You just communicated what, what to bet and if they should deviate, which is really how uh, gorilla BP works. Yeah. Yeah. I thought that there was a distinction between, you know, if you're directing every single playing decision or things like that versus passing the count, but maybe we were just doing something very standard, but with a Gorilla BP, usually you have the controller at the table, and that's the person that has the count and is going to communicate yeah, the, the bets. And, and the Gorilla BP knows basic strategy and knows what a deviation should be. Like, if, if the signal to deviate happens, they know to stand rather than to hit. Yes. Was that just simply because it would be far too complex to pass the, the running count? Or, or was it, it a player became... that didn't know how? No, I mean, it was the Irish AP that was our BP, and he's very oh, good. Okay, yeah. Yeah. I think it was more of an efficiency situation. Mm-hmm. It's, we just thought it, when we kept working it out, it just seemed that we can communicate everything he needs to know. And then yeah. he can still focus on, he's a hyper-social dude, really good with people, yeah. very likable, very charismatic. And I think partly why we we even got to that point is because he had great relationship with the casino and with the staff there and because he played there before. So I think it was almost essential that we didn't just offload the, the count on him because or maybe I'm jumping ahead, but I can tell you how that whole little trip ended on that, that one casino. It's up to you. Sure. I mean, well, we, we played there for perhaps seven hours uh, nonstop and then we started getting some heat and it was so obvious because the casino just stopped being as nice to Irish AP. <laughs> Not even that they were being rude, but they were being very nice to him before. And then they suddenly weren't being as nice. And then I saw some monitors that had a driver's license on it that, that looked like a, a UK driver's license. And given where we were, I was like, well, that means that that must be one of our driver's licenses. So yeah. it must be like suspicious. So when our group text, we were discussing, do we leave or do we just keep going? My thinking being that, if we're about to get backed off and this is an isolated team trip, then it's not like we're going to keep playing for an infinite amount of hours. So I thought, well, then is our risk not potentially going up or has it just become a bit more complicated? But in the end, we played until closing time. I don't know if the others would want to say exactly how much we were up, but we were up less than 50,000 euro, but we were, we were up about three times EV, which was wow. we were so happy with. Uh, but at no point throughout the entire evening did I know where we were at because it's just the BP with a rack of chips. I don't know if this is his third buy-in. Of, uh, so we had no idea. Yeah. And he immediately, despite us doing all this groundwork ahead of time and getting these limits pre-approved, he immediately got restricted with his buy-ins when he got there, which is just, we got once again kind of lucky that that he didn't have to keep buying in because 
immediately the casino changed their mind from what they'd said to him on the phone and, and were restricting the amount that he could buy in. So we had that. We all went away. And then the next day, we were sort of like placing side bets about whether or not we were going to be allowed in. And then we uh, staggered in and went back one by one. And each of us was was banned. So they, they got us all. But I yeah. managed to get a word with the with the manager or one of the, the pit bosses or something like that. And he spoke like very good English and we had a chat. It was really weird. We just had this, this chat. He was on his break. So I went, can I walk with you and talk? Cause he was very like direct. He, he picked us off very specifically. I knew that they knew. And I know that the sort of conventional wisdom is to never admit that you're, you're counting, but in this situation, there's no way we're getting back in that casino. Yeah. There's just no way. And I thought the information that he might give me, he seemed quite open to chat would be valuable for future situations. So we had a chat and he explained the main reason, the main way that they caught us is simply that we were new players. And because in Europe, you can't just walk in, you have to create a, an account. It, they just looked at, well, who are the new people that are here? And, and that was the thing which made them suspicious of us. But they, he, this guy also told us little bits of cover that we were doing, not in terms of betting, but just in terms of, how we were acting and, and things like that. And, and what, and if they saw through that and that was quite useful. So yeah. this guy just gave us so much information without really realizing the, the, the value in it. So it was great that, that we had that conversation because now if we do another trip, not to that casino, obviously, then we'll refine the, the process even more. Any forms of cover that you can share that, that seem to actually work? In all honesty, the cover didn't seem to work. <laughs> that okay. was the main yeah. takeaway. Hey. So I think Well, that's that's valuable to know. Yeah, it was just stuff like having um, you know, bets from different games or not like, you know, if you got a, a slot ticket or something like that, or 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 having an alcoholic drink that you weren't really drinking, things like that. It it seemed that that he was the guy was saying that whether we looked focused or not was a big thing. So he was like, a couple of you looked like you were concentrating a lot, which I honestly don't know if I believe he seemed very invested in letting us know that it was no big deal that we were counting. And that, but, but I know that this is the first time that casino has been hit with a team. And I, I also know that we definitely wiped out their, their day's earnings and, and then some, so that was very satisfying, even though they didn't see, they shrugged it off a bit. We were, we still felt like we really, we got them. That's awesome. <laughs> What was uh, so special about the rules at this place? Like, was there some kind of draw to it? Like, what was the whole? Less about the rules and more about in Europe, it's just so rare to get a casino that would have like good pen and multiple tables. It was mm. literally that simple. It's so rare to even get multiple tables and, and be able to do this kind of BP stuff. Not to mention the fact that it's so rare to get a player approved to quote unquote, to, to bet at a high level. So maybe this would be quite a, I don't know, an average team game in, in the U S but for in Europe, it was super rare. And the fact that we found one at all, we were really like excited about, we're still looking around and we can't find anything else that, that even has similar, similar conditions. So it was good pen and it was all pretty quick. It was a very quick shuffle. So yeah, it was generally good conditions. Do you think um, like an American passport would have done better or does, does that not matter over there? Like, I don't think, I think if we were really going to try and, and make it work, I don't think it would have been worth it. But if we'd played, if we'd planned this a year in advance and then taken trips over there and played a couple times every, on just low stakes, 
then we could have made the spotters maybe go under the radar a bit more and then they wouldn't have been flagged up. But at the end of the day, our BP was walking around placing big bets and winning. And they actually thought we were using some kind of multi-level complicated count because our variance was good. (laughs) (laughs) You said something um, earlier that, that uh, I don't know, I guess I could relate to me. Maybe, maybe this isn't that valuable to our listeners, but you were talking about how you had no idea if he was winning or not. You just saw, you know, racks of racks of chips. And um, it's, it's totally true during, during team play. You have, you really have no idea how it's going. And I've been on either end of it, um, you know, where I'm just happily doing my job as a spotter and, you know, come to find out the BP is just freaking out because he he's down so much money. Uh, I've been on the other end of it. I remember being taken a guy, like an old high school friend of mine that I trained and he, he joined our, our team and we, we go on this trip together and I'm spying for him. And it feels like I just see him buying in over and over. And I'm, you know, just like, Oh no. And, uh, when, when we decided to call it, I was getting heat. He, he wasn't getting heat, but I was, cause I'd played this place before. Um, but, uh, Anyway, I was like, yeah, how bad, how, you know, what was the damage? He's like, oh, I'm up 20,000. It was, you know, um, <laughs> because yeah, he did have to buy in a bit, but then, you know, uh, at some point apparently it turned around and I, you know, wasn't privy to it. Um, yeah. so, our BP so, uh, is so good. Sorry, I was gonna say our BP is so good at, at playing the role of a gambler that I was, he, he would get annoyed when he lost and things like that. And, and so I had this perception that this wasn't going well, but in reality, it, it was going much better than I thought. And he was just playing the role of this energetic gambler. Well, on a personal level, I'm happy for you guys because the the US trip went, you know, so badly yeah. uh, w- between the, you know, you guys were up and then lost it all back and then some, and then you're forced to like catch the last flights home or else you're going to oh, be stuck yeah. in the US for for months or, or longer. Yeah, if anyone wants to watch a video of me being on the, you know, the edge of a breakdown in a car, then, you know, that Vegas video when it's out will, will give you a lovely picture of, of the, the emotions of that, that, that situation. And here you got to have the the positive side of it where, you know, you put together this whole, I mean, I remember putting together a whole team play strategy and driving some seven hours or something to a casino with teammates showing up and it's all CSMs. And we yeah. just had to, you know, go to plan, plan. We didn't even have a plan B, but we had to just figure it out on the fly. Uh, and then I've had team team play trips that just work perfectly and it's those are the best memories i have you know the thousands of hours of blackjack i've played those successful you know in there with your teammates and you're pulling it off and the casino at the time has no idea that you're together as there's something really thrilling about that of course it always ends at some point but i'm glad you guys got to have that experience i totally agree it's like the funnest thing for me is is the team stuff even if you're playing solo but on a team and pulling a big bankroll and it's just something great about that camaraderie you've got a group chat that's going off with the people's people's results so it's like everything is is sped up in a way because everybody's playing at the same time and it's just so fun so yeah loved it and the way you guys pulled off this um you know one trip this reminds me of um I, I I still don't think they like their name being. We'll, we'll just call them the big team. Um, but uh, they've they've been interviewed on Gambling with an Edge, and and uh, they're basically a, the team that we, um, you know, copied 
it was the team that we had experience playing with or experience with. But anyway, my point is they had, they would put together these big plays where they'd have multiple spotters and, you know, a gorilla BP or two. Um, and they, they just descend on, on a city and, and crush it. It was this elaborate stuff and everyone had to get tested out when they showed up to the town. Um, and then there were, uh, they would do these kind of side projects. So it might be something like this where, uh, you, you guys, uh, a, f- a few people say, Hey, we, ha- I found this place and they just put together a side bankroll and they might lose on it because it's not, they're not going to get hundreds of hours in, but they knew, Hey, if I do these little side teams throughout the year, like I'll be, I'll be fine. Um, so I, I haven't known a lot of people that do that stuff, but it's, it's cool to see you, you guys trust each other. You knew each other, you knew you could work together and, uh, you know, just, Hey, you, you guys could have lost like, uh, whatever it was mid five figures is what you won. Well, you could have lost mid five figures, but, uh, but if you know, you know, the risks, I guess another question I had is where did the bankroll come from for this, uh, for this play? Yeah, this was funded by team players and a couple of other people that, that I know I, I invested in this one as well, which was nice to do because up until then I hadn't really played on my own money. And there's something a bit more satisfying about also having skin in the game, but I, I had a, it, yeah, so it was team players invested. And then there was a couple of friends of mine that I just mentioned it to that I was doing this thing and they were like, can I invest? And I was like, if you want here and I explained it and then they put money in. So everyone had a lovely return on investment for a very short amount of time. So everyone was happy. Yeah, it's Card King's easy money, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, hard way to make easy money. That's the phrase, isn't it? <laughs> except when, except when it's not easy money. Yeah. Um, so, uh, what's you want to share with us the story of of the video? I mean, that was was that's not why you got into Card King, or is that why you got into Card King? Was to do kind of a YouTube series? Bit of both. In that the YouTube series enabled me to to pursue it with a bit more, I guess not aggression but just a bit more focus like when i when i'm doing two things at once you know i'm making a series and i'm also doing this project it, it ensures that i'm going to do it because there are two reasons to be doing it so i just thought it would make a really interesting series and i thought if i didn't do the series maybe i would never get around to learning to to, to count even though it's something i was interested in so yeah i think the series is coming out uh, it's come out pretty well i think you do get a good insight into what it is like from my perspective of a of a new card counter and i filmed a lot with a hidden camera which was scary in its own right because obviously you don't want to get caught with technology in a casino in case they think that you're doing something else but filmed with a hidden camera and i have a lot of footage of of back offs some a lot more aggressive than others and yeah all sorts of stuff so the series is it's a few episodes and it's going to be on my my youtube channel and i think that particularly car counters will like it and we'll see how the rest of the world reacts. Yeah. I get people that, you know, ask me to film, you know, kind of like the, the life of a card counter and, and, you know, Hey, I'm, I'm, a, you know, kind of retired from, from card yeah. counting. Uh, I'm not going to pack up my bags and film myself out, out for a week. Cause I'm too lazy to do that. But I think it will give people, you know, a realistic, glimpse of of uh what it looks like and hopefully we don't get too much backlash from uh you know card counters they, they want to know everything but they don't want anyone else to know anything um so exactly yes yes i mean if card counters hadn't written books on card counting then we would, none of us would be card counting so it's a weird 
balance, isn't it? And yeah, yeah. I think it's pitched at a difficulty level where people won't do it unless if they want to do it. It's almost like I say to people, I don't recommend that you learn to count cards is generally my answer because it's unless you're like really want to do it then it's not worth it. But Absolutely. for the people that really want to do it, they're going to do it whether or not there's a, no matter what, they're just going to put the, the time in. That's what we did. Well, that's what we ended up. When we first started the church team, we were trying to talk everyone into it because we just thought it was amazing. And for us, it wasn't like so hard, um, not because we we're smart, but we just super really, really wanted to do it. And then we learned in time, no, the best way to pitch this is don't do it. Don't <laughs> learn card counting. Don't join our team. And then those people that just wouldn't uh, wouldn't let it go, they were the right people. It's weirdly how I pitch investors too. Not that I pitch, but someone will say, oh, can I invest? And I'd be like, are you sure you want to? Because this is a high risk investment, even though it's like we're playing with an edge. It's still gambling, but with an advantage. And, and people are still, the people that want to, want to. Yeah. So speaking of the YouTube videos and, and all that, how did that behind the scenes wise, how did it work? Was it like a glasses camera or something else? Or Yeah, I tested a few different cameras. And I bought a load from a spy shop and just tested them. And I settled on a watch camera because it was the most natural and also the most practical. As opposed, I felt if I was wearing a full body camera, it would. And then I got caught with it. It would be so bad. But the watch was was really good. It made a weird flash when you started recording. So I would do it under the table or under under my sleeve, but press the button a few times, and then I would just sort of stand. If I folded my arms, I could capture everything on on hidden camera. So it, it did a pretty good job. You know, I don't always have people's faces in the shot, but most of the faces in this series are blurred just because I don't want to, it's not about, I'm not trying to humiliate pit bosses in this situation. So I do a lot of face blurring just to keep respect the privacy, but it really added pressure thinking about it in that way. And knowing I had a camera on me felt like I was committing a crime amongst doing what I was doing. Well, you know, uh, in the U S if they determined that you were using a device, you know, you, you could have trouble. There's the famous story of the Highlanders. They they had beads in their pocket to track the pay of the ace sequencers and the casino tried to, tried to uh, you know, or they arrested them and they had to prove that they weren't using the beads as a device to beat the casino. Um, but if you're filming it, wow. you know, you, you could have, you could have some trouble, but uh, so I'm just putting that out there. Hey, be careful if you're, you know, doing anything that could be considered using a device that uh, is illegal. It's never it's encourage people to film. <laughs> it's only illegal because casinos lobbied to make it illegal because they're getting crushed by uh, the, the <laughs> computers, the card tracking computers uh, back in the day, but, uh, but it is. So we're running short on time here, but maybe you could share with us uh, any famous back off stories or, or just uh, any, any stories you'd want to leave us with here. For sure. I mean, the harshest back-offs that I've had were in Washington in the tribal casinos. Not that I'm saying tribal casinos are harsh, but the, the harshest ones I had were a couple of tribal casinos, mainly in situations where they wanted to ID me and I refused ID because I didn't need to show them. And that was a hill I decided to die on. And then they just like way too many security people. And then they called the police. And I was so terrified because I don't know the tribal casino are paying for the police, aren't they? So I was yes, just really it's worried. Yes, tribal police, yeah. Yeah, so I was really worried about even getting my money. And this whole interaction went on for maybe 20 minutes of aggressive conversations with the pit bosses and stuff before two police officers arrived at one tribal casino. And luckily they took my side in that situation. But that was one of the most high-stress situations 
that I've experienced, which is on film. So that'll be out at some point. <laughs> and then I had a couple of other very similar situations with casinos refusing to pay me out unless I showed ID, even though I didn't. And then police get involved. And one, so I wrap this up real quick. One really funny story was when I got uh, backed off for being a card counter because I looked like another card counter, not oh, because I actually yeah. was one. Happened on two occasions. And uh, yeah, it was very, very funny. With police officer, I, they were saying they trespassed me and I was saying there's no chance that's happened. I've never been here. Eventually I show the cop my ID and his whole demeanor changes. And then he's like, he's not the guy. And then they let me back in the casino, which was weird. That's funny. It sounds like something Emerald Queen would do. I'm just guessing. You don't have <laughs> yeah. to confirm or deny, but it really sounds like something they would. Yeah. Joe, 748, have you ever been um, confused with another card counter at the tables or at, at a casino? So I haven't, but I've heard of other boot campers who have gone and they say my name to the uh, person that they're backing off. So that's happened a few times. <laughs> dang. Yeah. Yeah. So I apologize for that, guys. <laughs> I've been asked if I was someone else and it was someone on our team. Um, but I don't know. I don't know if anyone's been backed off because they look too much like me. One of the times in, in Washington, when I went in this casino, they, I literally just sat down at the table and, and the guy comes over to me, taps me on the shoulder. I go over and he just very politely says, you know, you've been backed off of this casino before. And I'm just like, I, I'm so taken off guard because I've never played there before. So I'm just like, I, I've never been in this casino in my life was my reaction. And he was just like, oh, really? Are you, are you sure? <laughs> and I was like, actually, I tell a lie. One time I came in here, but I didn't have my ID. So I, you guys wouldn't let me in. So this is the first time I play like I've, I've been here. And he said, well, we just got a call from surveillance and they, they say a guy looks just like you. And then they had this photo of this dude that they wouldn't show me. And then they sat and, and looked at it for a while and were like, oh, we guess we made a mistake. And they offered to get me food and stuff and just, and just be really nice to me, which felt so weird because <laughs> I was telling the truth, but then about to go and do what they hated. And did they back you off after you played? <laughs> No, I actually, I left before that, before that back off. Well, there probably would have been a back off, but in, in all honesty, that was one of those cases where I just felt so uncomfortable being at the casino yeah. <laughs> after that situation. I shouldn't have left early, but I, I did leave early on that session. Did you take the free food? No, I didn't. I should have, but <laughs> there's just something about it where, also I've got weird dietary requirements. So sometimes yeah. it's tricky just getting meals comped, but, uh, no, I didn't, I didn't take any of their, their free offers because I just thought it would create so much bad will. will. There's only so many prime rib sandwiches you can have from the casino deli. <laughs> well, are, aren't you ve vegan, Stephen? Is that I right? am one of those pesky vegans, which does present a challenge in casinos because casinos That's, don't like yeah. vegans. <laughs> yeah, how do you... <laughs> uh, how, yeah, how, how do you order... Is there usually something you can eat? Often it's like the fried rice with veg and tofu. So that they'll, they'll make a really nice meal. There's a couple of places that did great food in Washington, but when you have that much fried rice, then you definitely hit a limit pretty quick. <laughs> and a couple of times it's just chips. And some of these, one tribal casino in Washington, I just all they had that I could eat was chips. And it, they were just the most greasy chips. <laughs> and it was just very difficult. But I mean, it's my own fault, isn't it? So I can't complain. By, by chips, do you mean French fries? <laughs> Sorry, I mean French fries. I, I yes, using Freedom the English. Fries. Or do you mean yeah. poker chips? Were you eating? I was just eating those. <laughs> that was that's my strategy for rat holding chips, as I was saying. Like, that's it. You just swallow them when no one's that's looking. That's the secret. <laughs> <laughs> the magic trick. So tell us when when this YouTube series is coming out, or how people can find it. 
Great. Thanks. Uh, yeah, if you go to youtube.com slash Stephen Bridges, Stephen with a V, then that's my channel. You can go and subscribe ahead of time, or oh, it depends on when this comes out. But on Monday, the 1st of November, I believe, is when the, the little trailer is going to drop. And then after that, it's probably going to be weekly. And there may be 20 to 30 minutes each per video. And I think it it does provide a really nice roller coaster of the experience of a first time card count and getting into it. I try and be as honest and as open as I can. So, and then there's a lot of horrible back offs that I caught in camera. So, if those things sound fun, then head over to YouTube.com/slash Stephen Bridges and you can find it all there. And are you going to be active after that with with um, you know magic videos? Yeah, I, yeah. I took a bit of a massive YouTube hiatus, so. We'll, we'll see but yeah i've been working on loads of magic so there'll also be magic videos there and there's a huge backlog of magic there too so if you i presume most people haven't seen my channel before but if you like magic and you like blackjack it will be a great place for you to go and hang out <laughs> and what other than just um you know thinking it would be an interesting project was it was there any other goal behind the youtube series i mean i know you had asked me if we had an affiliate uh you know thing with, yeah. when this all started and i was like oh i, I think we, we used to because blackjackinfo.com uh i knew the guy that owned that ken he he ended up selling it but uh he would he put some like banners on their site and we'd get a, a couple <laughs> signups each month from his website but i think we figured out how to get get that going um for you so obviously there's like some monetary value for you for that but but did you have any other goals with it i literally really just wanted to make a series that i thought people would like to watch uh, that was the main thing uh, it gave me a great excuse to try something like i want to look back on my life and be able to say that i did the cool things that i wanted to do and card counting is just when you know it exists and if you if, if it appeals to you uh, like it did to me i just didn't want to not do it you know, so yeah. it, it just provided a nice a nice way of doing that and, and telling that story. And, and I really like making videos and, and putting it all together. It's kind of strange when you're having to edit, you're having to think about the story arc of the videos at the same time as living the experience. Sometimes you just want to sit and play and, and not think about having to film. So it's kind of yeah. complicated balancing those two things sometimes, but hopefully the result is something that that, that people will will like. But yeah, really the goal was just this will be a fun experience. And I also think this will make great content and that's all. Yeah. Cool. So I'm, I'm sure we'll be, you know, sharing it uh, on the forum. So, so that our BJ members can watch and you've agreed at least uh, in theory to doing a chat room Q and a uh, yeah, sure. members chat room. So that'll be fun. Uh, hopefully. Yeah. We'll do that shortly after these uh, podcasts come out so that people have good questions to ask you. Um, but anything else you want to share with people? Oh, goodness. Like parting words of wisdom. No, not yeah, really. Uh, I would just say... Life life <laughs> lessons from your time as a card counter or, or anything else? I'd say most of the time, you don't have to show ID. And if you push those conversations <laughs> long enough, you will win those debates. But if it's worth it, that's up to each individual. I'd say that I am very grateful to to you for helping me with everything. I would not have done this without BGA. I do not know how people could even begin to take on the the task of learning to count cards without blackjack apprenticeship. I literally don't know how. That would be so much harder. So I think members already listening to this. It's clearly doable because myself <laughs> and plenty of others, you know, are, are st still doing it, but uh, hopefully we make it easier, easier for people or or worthwhile for people. For sure. So I think that anyone that's a, a member of BJA is in, is in the perfect place. So yeah, I, I don't really have any advice that I could offer that, that you wouldn't have already shared, but 
Yeah. Well, what about just has it changed your view on money or or anything like that? Oh uh, yeah, EV has sunk into my life, and I I can't help now but think about things in terms of EV. Even if I think about my own business and, and magic stuff, I think about the cost of outsourcing video editing and and how these things affect. And it, it's just hard to to look at anything without looking at it through an EV lens, which is probably one of the biggest benefits to counting. Because even if it's just a lot of the time in life, you'll have something that you can do that will produce a positive result. So it's good EV. But you have to also think there's something else I can do that can produce yeah. a lot more EV. But my brain has defaulted to this first option because it's whatever. So it, it helps me take a step back and really think about a lot of different decisions and, and, and where the EV is. And that's the best side effect, I think, from getting into card counting. That's awesome. And hopefully people think beyond just monetary EV, you know, like you could be si- yeah, spending sure. all day editing YouTube videos yourself and, and uh, saving some money, or you can outsource that and spend your time doing something, even if it doesn't make you more money, you know, hey, YOLO, you only live once. So. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. And video editing. I mean, I edit the whole series myself, but videos that I have for, for other things that are less strenuous than edit, I, I love outsourcing those because yeah, it's just, as you say, you buy back your own time and can do whatever you like. Like learn card counting. Indeed. It all circles back to card counting. Awesome. Joe, any last questions or anything you want to add? Yeah. Um, yeah. I just had a last question. What was like the one thing or a few things that when, you know, it's different when you practice about it and you learn about it, you read about it. What was one thing when you were actually doing it? It just was very different than your expectations. Like, I think as weird as it is, the, the, just the feeling of, of walking into the casino, knowing that you're going to do something that everybody hates you for mm. in that environment. And also the, the whole thing about tipping is very the tipping pressure is real. <laughs> like that's almost as bad as the back offs. I can I can remember the conversations with dealers still, where you're leaving the table and they're sort of calling after you, like you're the worst person for not for not tipping. Uh, so please tell me you got that on video. Some of that stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I had a, a couple of really great frank conversations yeah. with a couple of charismatic <laughs> dealers, but yeah. So that that's yeah. one of the biggest things is that just be prepared for the discomfort. Different in Europe. In Europe, yeah, tipping's not a thing. Well, tipping is a thing, but it's it, in in the US. It seems to be very key. If people aren't tipped, they're not going to make a living wage. Whereas in Europe, a lot of the time, that's that's not the case. So, people do tip. It's just less expected. And I guess the lucky thing I have about being English is that some of that stereotype rubs off. So, I think Americans often just assume that I'm naive as opposed to rude, which makes mm-hmm. me feel a bit better about the the not tipping my EV away situation. At one point there was a casino in Europe that I made the journey for a few times and really liked. And I was tipping there and it was kind of stupid in retrospect, but I was, what I was really doing, if I'm being honest with myself, was buying goodwill to make me feel happier when I was sat there. But it's just, when I look back on it, it was well over a thousand euros of of tips over the space of a few months. And it's just like, that is a lot of money. Mm. So I I think most of the time it's, it's not worth it. I was I was gonna say it's so weird that you know if dealers can't make a living wage, they're upset with the players rather than the employer that won't pay them a living wage. Yeah. The the employer that you know you can see the profit sheets of these casinos and and then they're upset with the players for for not supplementing uh, corporations that are not willing to pay them a living wage. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't want to. Uh, I mean, I'm not politically savvy enough to to sort of really get into a huge thing about tipping, but it does seem 
odd to me that 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 burden is put on the the players and the customers even at restaurants as opposed to the the management and i i get that it sort of is to encourage better service and stuff but i think i don't know if someone's working servers and the servers work really hard they shouldn't have to worry about whether they get paid so i mean as to a brit it sounds strange people people can listen to the freakonomics podcast episode about tipping and how like what a weird system it is that, that we're currently in but the only other tipping story i have is is um germany playing in the airport there it's like I had a few hours and played uh I, I mean i don't even know if i played more than two shoes but uh when they got a when you got a blackjack the dealer would say thank you before <laughs> you know because the because the expectation was that you tip you tip from the the bonus payout for getting a blackjack and i was like so weird and awkward because they're thanking me and i wasn't uh, handing anything over talk about tipping away your edge yeah but exactly right you should talk to a george 21 about this because he has so many situations where he's had that very polite person in europe that insists you know thank you and maybe that's just a level of I don't know, passive aggressiveness that we, we have for some, for us here in Europe that, uh, yeah, less direct than the US, I guess. But yeah, there's a lot of thank you very much and then waiting and, and yeah. Awesome. Well, if people want to check out the YouTube series, go to youtube.com slash Stephen Bridges, right? With a V. That's it. Yeah. And, uh, it. And, and check it out and we'll post the link in the members area of Blackjack Apprenticeship and hopefully people enjoy it and, and uh, the people that shouldn't count cards will realize it's not something they should do and the people, the, the weirdos, the rare weirdos that should uh, will have some realistic expectations from it. Thanks so much for sharing your story with us and if you want to learn more about card counting, you can check out blackjackapprenticeship.com. Great, thanks for having me. Cheers. Cheers.